Uh, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on our stream for Carolina Family Church. Uh, especially if it's your first time with us, we want to say welcome to the digital world that we live in today. <laughs> and uh, we got lots of other messages in this series called Truish uh, that would be really interesting to check out if you haven't seen them before. What we're doing is we're looking at the things Christians say, phrases that you might be accustomed to hearing from Christians or saying if you are one, and asking where do they come from? Do they come from Scripture? And is it accurate to what the Scripture says? And is that what that Scripture is actually saying? And so uh, it's been really interesting. We've covered a lot of different kinds of ground as we've gone through the series, but the goal has always been the same every single week in the series is to say, what does Scripture say about this? We want to really understand what God thinks instead of just understanding what everybody around us think around us thinks or how's anybody around us talks you know so uh yeah it's brutal yeah sorry but the goal is to is to have a clear and accurate understanding of God and what he expects from us because one of the big issues that we run into is when our faith gets shaken a little bit the way the earth was shaken today there you go and um Oftentimes, that's because we're expecting something of God that God never actually promised to do. And so we expect God to behave a certain way or to have some sort of responsibility to us that he never said he was going to do. And then we end up disappointed. We end up with our faith lacking and all of that. And so we don't, obviously don't want that to happen. So the goal in the series is to better understand God and what he actually says about things. All right, so last week uh, was one that I got to tell you, I got to be honest. So every, almost every week I, I give a message and every single week I evaluate myself after that message. And some of you are probably like, don't do that. It's always great. I hear you. Um, but, but I'll walk away and I'll be like, sometimes I'll be like, that was a nine. Okay. Not to get too big ahead, but I was like, yeah, I feel like really like that was as good as I could have done on that message. And then sometimes I'll walk away and I'm like, that's a six with a, with a, tailwind you know that was that was okay and I walked away from last week's message thinking like I think it was like a seven and but I got so much feedback from you on what it meant for you it, particularly in the situation you were in and I know it was really helpful so it was a really great message it was um because of that not because I did a good job but because I know that it had an impact on you um it was uh God is the great physician what does that mean? How did our health? We're thinking a lot about that right now. What does that mean? How does God interact? What is how, what's his responsibility to us? And the thing that, that came up last week that I had a lot of conversation about after the fact is how when it comes to the issue of health, our sense of justice really comes into play. The idea that we see somebody get sick and we think they don't deserve that, which I guess on the flip side of that means that somebody else does deserve it, I, you know, which is, that's another conversation, but, but it, it messes with our sense of justice. Who deserves what? Uh, when good things happen to, to bad people, what's, all, what's that about? Or when bad things happen to good people, what's that all about? And we, you know, in our mind and in our heart, honestly, our natural tendency is to say people should get what they deserve. And I guess we think that we get to decide what people deserve. And last week, I brought up an example. I just threw him out really quickly in the message by the name of Job, because Job was a righteous man, upright, and then he got everything taken away from him. And so in your head, you go, man, how does that work? Why does that work? What in the world is going on? We think that God, if we are good or if we are faithful to him, God has an obligation to protect us. 
especially, especially if we're doing something for him. I remember um, when I was in high school, I got the opportunity with our youth group from church to go on a mission trip to Peru, and it was an unbelievable trip. Before we went, however, we gathered up at the church, and all the parents were there, and some of our youth leaders and other elders and people from the church. All of the students that were going got into a circle. Everybody gathered around them right next to the tour bus that was going to take us to the airport. They all put their hands on us, and they prayed for us. And it was an incredible moment. It was, it was amazing. And I rem- but I remember specifically in that moment something someone said that I had heard a hundred times before, but it struck me as funny this time. I don't know why, but it just struck me as funny. They said, Lord, we pray a hedge of protection around these students. I heard that like a hundred times, but in that moment, it was just like, wait, what? Uh, uh, What is a hedge of protection? What is, why not, why that? Like, I'm I'm envisioning the shrubbery in front of my house, first and foremost, (laughs) What is a hedge of protection? Is it just overgrown bushes? What I don't know what this is. And I'm I gotta be honest, I'm not so sure how how does how does this hedge even work? Is it mobile? Is it going to South America with us? Is this a hedge that you can you can pick up and it's just gonna follow us down there? And why a hedge? I mean, why not why not a wall? Or 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 a or a moat? or a bubble, or something. I don't, I don't understand where this hedge idea comes from, how it even works. Well, historically, there, there is something to this because in, in, way back in the olden days, uh, particularly you go back to the time of the, the, when the Old Testament is, re- is recorded, it would take a lot of work and would be very difficult to, to build a wall. You certainly couldn't build a fence out of wood. There aren't, I don't know if you've ever been to the Middle East, there aren't that many trees. And so it would be difficult to, to build a, a, a fence around your property. And so it would make a lot of sense just to plant a row of hedges, bushes around your property of thorns and thistles and other things that predators wouldn't want to come through and your livestock wouldn't want to go out through. And so they would build these hedges around. Now, this phrasing, hedge of protection, actually does come from scripture. It comes from the Bible and you'll never guess where it comes from. Job. It comes from, the first place we see it is in the book of Job. And so we're going to look at the story of Job today. So if you have your Bibles and you want to start turning there, go ahead. We are going to put it on the screen, but boy, you can really flip through with us in the, if you you have the pages. Yes, you get a point if you have a print Bible and, or I guess if you have on your phone, it's all the same, right? Uh, So yeah, you get a point if you actually pull this up today. Okay. Not with God, just with me for whatever that's worth. Um, So we're going to look at Job, but here's, this is really interesting. The hedge. It's not Job that says it. It's not Job's wife that says it. It's not God that says it. It's actually Satan that says it. Now, that doesn't make it a bad thing. I'm just saying he's the one who actually says the words. Because here's what happens. All right, we're going we're gonna to jump in in Job chapter 1. And so I don't know how exactly this scene is happening, but the angels, it says the uh, sons of God, which is code word, angels. Angels are presenting themselves to God. Don't know why or how or what's going on there, but angels are presenting themselves to God. And when that happens, all of a sudden Satan is there with them. And God looks at Satan and he says, hey, hey, you, what have you been up to? 
And uh, Satan says, well, I've just been, you know, I've been down on earth going here and there, walking around, checking it out, you know, to and fro, east to west. That's what I've been doing. Uh, just been here and there. And, uh, and this is what God says to him. Job uh, chapter 1, verses 8, uh, starting in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Like basically God is saying, hey, you've been walking around down there. Did you get this guy? Did you see him? He's something. You, have you considered my servant Job? That there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and the possessions and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So where this phrase actually comes from is that God says, Hey, you see Job? He's an amazing guy. And Satan says, He's only an amazing guy because you've protected him. And if you took that away, he wouldn't love you so much. He would do like all the rest of them and he would turn his back on you. And God says, Okay, let's see. Let's see just how faithful Job is. So you can afflict him, Satan, but you're not allowed to touch him. Anything around him is fair game. He is not fair game. So, okay, that's what he does. And uh, Job loses all of his possessions, all of his property, and all of his children. It's, it's horrific. It's terrible. Okay? And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk through the story of Job, and we're going to do it in about 30 minutes, which is aggressive because the book of Job is 42 chapters long. So I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it, okay? But even after Job loses his children and all of his possessions, this is what he does. Job chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. You wouldn't expect that, would you? He fell to his ground and worshiped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That might be familiar terminology to some of you who've been around church. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. So Job reacted to this as, as terrible as it was. Job reacted to this with faithfulness and worship. He reacted the right way. But then this is what happens. The scene repeats again. Again, the angels are presenting themselves to God. Again, Satan is in their midst. Again, God says, where you been? Satan says, I've been walking around on earth, checking it out. And then this happens. Job chapter 2, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> I love this. What do you think now? Did you see him? Did you check him out while he was down there? While you were down there? Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? The same thing he said before. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you enticed me against him to destroy him without cause. Without cause. 
So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Basically, Satan said, you said I wouldn't touch him. That's the problem. I touch him and it's going to change. But stretch out, this is verse 5, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So you can't kill him, but you can hurt him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. So not like gross out alert. It's a piece of broken pot that he would use to scrape the boils, okay? It's bad. You need to know that it's bad. <laughs> it's important for you to know that it's bad. All right, because I know we've been in bad places. We've all been in bad places, and you need to know that Job is in a bad place. He has lost his children now. He has lost all of his wealth and all of his possessions, and he has lost now his health. He does still have his wife. So you, you run that math. Then his wife said to him, she's a real peach, verse 9. Then she said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. It's not very encouraging. Okay, verse 10. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So again, Job responds in faith, even though he's getting pressure not to. He's, he's basically saying, I, we got to take the good with the bad. What are we going to do here? All right, so, so, so at this point, Job is pretty strong, and he's, he's reacting to this bad stuff that's happening, really bad stuff that's happening to him quite well. And then he has three friends that show up. Because they heard that Job, this, all this was happening to him, and, and they care about him. And so his three friends, uh, their names are Eliphaz, Bildad the Shuhite, one of the short people in the Bible, right? Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar. So we're going to call him Eli, Bill, and Zo, just to keep it simple today. But they show up because they heard that Job is really, really hurting. And in fact, it says um, uh, that when they were a long way off, they looked and they saw him from afar and they didn't even recognize him. He was in such bad physical condition, so hurt, mourning, that they didn't even, couldn't even believe that that was the Job that they once knew because Job was on top of the world before this. All right. And so and, they, and they're so upset about it that they just break out in tears. They're weeping over the condition that Job is finding himself in right now. In fact, they go in and they meet Job. They sit down and nobody talks. They all just sit there for seven days. An entire week just sitting in silence and grieving what has happened to their friend. It is an incredible, incredible scene. And then it's Job... Who breaks the silence. And over the next 30 chapters or so, it is Job and these three friends going back and forth and trying to answer the question, why is this happening? We might ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? 
because this is the these are the worst things and this is the best guy so why and they they're going to go back and forth over the next 30 chapters trying to answer the question of why exactly this is happening first you can see what a bad condition that job is in because job starts off by cursing the day he was born at length saying, I wish I had never been born. This is so terrible. I wish that, that I had never been conceived. I wish that I had been born stillborn. I wish I wasn't here. I wish God would just get rid of me. And maybe that's where your mind goes after seven days of sitting in silence, brooding. But he is hurt. He is scared. He is depressed. And he wants to die. And his friend Eli, Eli looks back at him and says, I hate to tell you this, Job, but you and I both know that punishment like this is the result of sin. That's, that was their understanding. And so that bad things happen to bad people. So you must be a bad person. And so he looks at Job and he says, you've done something wrong and you need to confess it. And Job says, what are you talking about? You don't understand my pain. Now, some of you who are going through something really painful right now, or you've been through something really painful, as I give Job's words, I have a feeling that they're going to really hit home for you. They really hit home for me when I read them and think, I think these same things, these same things he's saying. And I'm going to paraphrase, paraphrase 30 chapters here, okay? We're going to do that fast. Some, of, some chapters are going to be a sentence. But Job says, you don't understand what I'm going through. I wish God would just kill me and get it over with. There are other people that deserve what I'm getting, but I'm telling you, I am not one of them. I haven't done anything wrong. And by the way, Eli, you're a pretty terrible friend. Okay? <laughs> terrible friend. You don't understand how badly I'm hurting. Can't you see that God is fighting with me? Can't you see that God is doing this to me? God is hurting me when I've done nothing wrong at all. Bill says, listen, out with it already. We know you've done something. Like bad grammar. We know you did something. What is it? You have to repent of it to be restored. And Job says, no, I haven't done a single thing. And if God would just listen to me, I would explain that to him. But he's ignoring me. He doesn't care about me. And I could make my case to him. I've got no way of getting to him. I've got no way of getting his attention. He's turned his back on me and he won't listen to me. But if he would listen to me, I could prove to him that I'm righteous and that I don't deserve any of this that's happening to me. He doesn't care. I wish he would just leave me alone. Zoe is like, I can't listen to this. I got to say something. Dude, you did something and you got to tell it. You got to say it. You just got to confess it. You can't keep lying to us. And Job looks at all three of them and he says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than me? Do you think you know more than I do? Do you think you know that I've done something wrong when I tell you that I haven't? You can keep your judgmental opinions to yourself. In fact, this is the, the, the wording that he uses. He says, your platitudes are proverbs of ashes. It's not helpful. What you're, you're telling me I've sinned and that this is the result of me being a bad, doing something bad or being a bad person. It's not helpful because it's not true. And I know that if God would listen to me, he would exonerate me because I am blameless. But he doesn't care about me. He's being cruel to me and he's unrelenting. Eli says, Job, you got to get over yourself, man. You are not perfect. 
you have done something. And then Job says, you guys are terrible friends. This is the worst comforting I've ever experienced in my entire life. He says, Miser- this is, these are Job's exact words, miserable comforters are you all. <laughs> You're awful at this. Should not be your career. He said, I just want this to be over. I'm completely crushed. I am completely broken. There's no comfort in me sitting here and talking about it, but there's no comfort in me sitting and being quiet either. There's nothing I can do. Bill says, listen, I'm tired of us all going back and forth, okay? We're not getting anywhere. Job, do you think God is going to relent just because you say you're innocent? Think you can just say you're innocent and God's going to let up? And Job says, why are you doing this to me? Why are you all hurting me so badly when it's obvious that God is already hurting me so badly? Why has everybody turned their back on me? Why is everybody ganging up on me? And he looks at his friends and he says this. This is Job chapter 19. We've gotten all the way to chapter 19. (laughs) Covered a lot of ground. Gets to chapter 19, verse 21. And he says, have pity on me. Have pity on me, O you, my friends. For the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? He said, if there was just somebody out there that would plead my case, if there was somebody who would come to my defense, then God would see and he would hear and he would take this off of me. But if he's not going to do that, I wish he would just get rid of me. Zoe says, I can't let you keep saying that. I can't let you keep saying that. And then you're talking as if we're going to get what's coming to us because we're giving you bad counsel. We're just telling you what we think is true. You think that bad things are going to happen to us. You think we're going down. You're the one who's wicked, obviously, Job. I mean, look at your situation. You're the one who's wicked, and it's only going to get worse. And Job looks back and says, I know you are, but what am I? Oh, wow. Okay, that's chapter 21 in a nutshell. He says, you're the ones who are wicked, not me. And he says that his words, ready? He says to his friends, look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. That's, that's their way of saying, I know there are kids watching this, so I'm not going to say what we say. Be quiet. <laughs> Put your hand over your mouth. Look at me and be astonished. And then Eli says, dude, you got to repent. This is, this is not right. Your attitude is not right. You, you've done something wrong. We know that's how that works. And so you've got to repent of it. Because God gives people what they deserve. And Job says, you know what? I agree with you. God does give people what they deserve. And if God would listen to me, I would make my case and he would realize that I don't deserve this because I am righteous. I have not done anything wrong. There are wicked people out there that deserve what I'm getting, but I'm not one of them. I'm good. And then Bill says, nobody's good. And Job says, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. (laughs) I am good. He said, I'm going to hold fast to my righteousness. I'm not letting go of this. I'm not going to back down. And then in verses, chapters 29 through 31, this is what Job does. He makes his closing argument to them. And it starts off in chapter 29. He said, here's my defense. Here are all the good things I've done. And he lists them ad nauseum, all of the good works that he's ever done. 
all of the righteous upstanding things in his life trying to prove that he's good. And then chapter 30, he says, here's what's happened to me. God has hurt me. God is contending with me and I don't deserve any of it. God is being cruel to me. And then in chapter 31, if I've sinned, then my punishment is just, but I haven't. And so my punishment is unjust. God ignores me. And then chapter 31 ends with these words. The words of Job are ended. He dropped the mic. He said, that's it. I'm without sin. I'm a good person. This shouldn't have happened to me. If I were a bad person, I understand, but I'm not. And God needs to listen to that. And he stops talking. And then the first verse of chapter 32, 32.1 says, So these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. I said, okay, we're not going to be able to convince you. We're not going to beat our head against a wall forever. So, okay. Essentially, here's here's what both of them are saying. We, We ask this question, why do good things happen to bad people? Job's answer is, why do bad things happen? Why are bad things happening to me? I'm a good person. I don't, I'm a good person, and I don't deserve this. His three friends, their response is, you're a bad person, and you do deserve this. Friends. Yeah, terrible friends. <laughs> Job says, I'm a good person, and I don't deserve this. His friends say, you're a bad person, and you do deserve this. And here's the thing. They are both wrong. They are both wrong. And often those are our two responses to when bad things happen to us. Either I'm good and I don't deserve this, or I must be bad and I do deserve this. Both of those will crush you. The same way they crushed these two where they could get nowhere and they were butting heads with one another. They're both wrong. Well, a third person enters the picture in chapter 32. Well, four fifth person, I guess. (laughs) A fifth person enters. His name is Elihu. Elihu. And he's, Elihu? (laughs) He's a young guy, okay? In fact, and it says that his anger was kindled. He was upset with the three friends because they were accusing Job of sin without actually ever telling Job what that sin was. So just, you you know, broad brushstroke judgment happening. And he was mad at Job. Because Job was claiming to be without sin when he knows that none of them are, are without sin. He's upset with both. And he says, I got, I got to say something. I have to speak up right now. Listen, I know I'm young. That's why I haven't said anything until now. I know you all are older and wiser. And so I was letting you do your thing without speaking up. But his words, I've realized great men are not always wise nor do the aged always understand justice. <laughs> I love it. This young guy speaks up and he's like, hey, I was going to let you guys work this out because you're so smart, but turns out you're not. So let me help you out. Okay. He starts off by telling Job, I want you to know I'm on your side. I've got no dog in this hunt. I'm not here to beat you up or tear you down. I just want to help you. But here's what you need to hear. Job 33, verse 8. Surely you have spoken in my hearing. I have heard this, and I have heard the sound of your words saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent, and there's no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. 
So Elihu is saying, I heard you say this. Let me paraphrase. This is what you've said. I'm righteous. God's hurting me. And uh, chapter, or verse 12, Elihu says, look, in this you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. His answer is, Job, who do you think you are? Do you think you're greater than God? Do you think you know all of God's ways? Do you think you understand why he would do this or why he would do that? You shouldn't be asking why. It's the wrong question to ask. You should be responding in faith and worship regardless of the why. Because God is greater and God is higher. In fact, there's, in, in a sense, when you read what Elihu says, you can almost feel him drawing back and saying, no, your first reaction was right. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Should we accept good from the Lord but not bad? You, you had it right to begin with, and then it got all muddy when you started trying to ask, why is this happening? When your response should have been worship and faith from the beginning. Who do you think you are? The problem is not why it happened. The problem is how you've reacted. Because God has told us that he was upright and without blame, that his responses were pure and without sin. And he didn't delve into all of this blaming God and being upset until he got further down the road, thinking, thinking that God was being unfair with him. It's a powerful moment. Elihu tells us that all of that pain, all of that difficulty can actually draw you back to God. He can use it to draw you closer to him. He says this in uh, chapter 33, verse 29 and 30. Behold, God works all things, all these things, twice. In fact, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be enlightened with the light of life. Saying, Job, God wanted to use this to show your faithfulness and to bring you closer to him, but instead you let it push you away. You let it drive you down into the ground instead of doing what it could have done. Elihu talks about God's justice, how God is just, but that we don't get to question that. He talks about how much God despises self-righteousness, which is what Job has moved himself into. And he defends the fact that God is good and he draws us close when we submit to him and trust him. And after Elihu speaks, guess who speaks? God finally speaks to Job. God breaks his silence. And let me tell you something, it is epic. <laughs> it is epic. Chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. I don't know where this whirlwind came from. It just all of a sudden, hadn't talked about a whirlwind before this. All of a sudden, there's a whirlwind. And the whirlwind, out of the whirlwind, God speaks to Job and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Basically, God is saying, Who is this that talked himself into the mentality that he had because he just followed his pain, and followed his frustration. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, verse 3, prepare yourself like a man. 
I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. This is like an epic power move from God. <laughs> he looks at Job. He says, all right, put your big boy pants on. You think I'm being cruel with you? You think I'm being cruel? All right, cruel? All right, tell me. Where were you when I made all of this out of curiosity? And then God goes into a list, an exhaustive list of all of the things that he has done that Job is not capable of doing. He's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Were you the one who gave strength to a horse? Was that you? Are you the one that can tighten Orion's belt? That's movement of stars, by the way. Job, you think you can do all of that? Why are you questioning me? Why do you think you know better than me? Why do you think that you're my equal? Why do you think that we're fighting like we're fighting in a ring like two boxers who are evenly matched? That's not what's happening here. Job, you have to be able to trust me. Basically, God said, all right, Job, you gave me your resume. I read it. Let's read mine. Let's see how they stack up to one another. And then in uh, chapter 40, so yeah, two chapters of that, by the way. Chapter 40, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer him. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. He comes to his senses. Have you ever, you've ever experienced this sort of thing before? When you get upset with somebody and they're not talking to you, you just get more and more upset at them. You begin to, to villainize them more and more and more. You begin to invent things that aren't actually there. You begin to forget the good that you used to have together. And it gets worse and worse and worse. But then that moment comes when you're finally face to face with one another again. And all of a sudden you realize all of those thoughts were wrong and misplaced and errant. I think that's what's happening to Job. He's gotten so mad. He's dealing with his condition. He's upset. His friends are egging him on and fighting with him. And he's getting madder and madder and madder at God. And then God confronts him and it says, hey, do you remember who I am? And in the face of who God is and Job understanding who he is, he realizes he's in no place to question what God has done. And whether it was just or not, to behold, I am vile, what shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Remember he told his friends to put their hand over their mouth? He said, I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now, he's not done. Now, prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? So God is saying, okay, you know who I am. Would you question my judgment? And would you blame me and say, I have done something wrong? but you haven't? How could you do that? How could you do that? Because you know better. And then God goes on to give another resume of all of the things that he does, the decisions he makes, and the change that he creates. He says, Job, you have to trust me. Then Job, and this is chapter 42, the last chapter, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything 
and that there's no purpose of yours that can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so Job comes to the point where he realizes, I don't need to ask why this happened. And I shouldn't have turned my back on God when it did. I shouldn't have allowed it to push me away from him because he is powerful and he is loving and he is right and he is just. And so I should have trusted him. And so Job repents in dust and ashes and turns back to God in trust and faith. And when he does that, God looks at the other three, by the way, the three friends who were encouraging uh, Job. And he's like, hey, I got to deal with you too because you didn't testify correctly of me. You weren't saying what is actually true. They kept saying, and actually, if you read it, you'll see they keep saying, uh, this is pure, and the Lord told me to say this. And God's basically saying, no, I didn't. And so you guys need to go get some offerings, and you need to take them to Job. And you're going to offer those offerings before Job. So they got to go apologize, basically, because you guys, you guys weren't right either. And God has no correction for Elihu, because Elihu actually spoke what was true. And ultimately, Job is restored. Job receives twice the cattle, twice the sheep, twice the goats that he ever had before. He ends up with more children than he had to begin with. But at the same time, it all scripture also tells us that the people had to come to continue to comfort Job because Job was still hurting. He didn't just all of a sudden get over the loss of his family. He didn't just get over the loss of, of losing his, his job and his career and all of his wealth. He didn't just get over the sickness and, and all that he had been hurting he, had, he still had to process that, but Job moved forward processing that in faith and trust in the Lord, and God blessed him as a result of that. So as we look at Job, what, what can we learn? Well, it's not that bad things happen to good people or that good things happen to bad people or that bad things happen to bad people or that good things happen to good people. You can connect those dots any way you want. It's that things happen to people. (laughs) Good things happen to all people. And bad things happen to all people. It's all of it. And it's not a matter of what we deserve or don't deserve, what we think is just or think is unjust. But what we need to do is to trust God in all of it. And use both the good and the bad to draw us closer to him in fellowship. Not only, not only so that we can show ourselves faithful to God, but so we can demonstrate what faithfulness looks like to the world, to everyone around us. Everything, whether good or bad, is an opportunity for us to be faithful to him. And you look at Job, and if I'm taking and I'm trying to learn and apply what happened to Job to to me in our life, I look at Job and God said to Satan, you know, he's fair game. He's fair game, but you can't take his life. God made sure of that. And listen, I live in a world, you live in a world where it's fair game. We, We live in a world where there's sickness and death and anger and hatred and success and all this kind of stuff. 
and where you can be, you know, trampled underfoot and overcome, you know, in the course of a day. But what God has done for us is he's secured our life. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection on the cross, then no matter what happens to us in this life, one thing that can't be touched is our life, well, our, our eternal life. <laughs> and nothing's going to take that away from us. If you put your faith in Jesus and believe in him for salvation, nothing can take that away. But then we walk through a life of good and bad, ups and downs all over the place, and we have choices to make. There are choices on whether those things are going to push us away from God and cause us to blame God or say God is unjust or unkind or unloving, that God has forgotten us and turned his back on us, and there's all these wicked people out there that deserve bad, but I'm good, and I deserve good. We can live that way, or we can choose have faith and say, God, we trust you, we believe in you, and we worship you. You give and you take away. Blessed be your name. And why would we receive good from you but reject bad? Because you can use all of it to draw us closer to you, closer in fellowship to each other, and make us more like your son, Jesus. That's a commitment that we all need to make. We need to make it every day in every situation. Let's go to God for help and let's pray together. God, we come to you in love, knowing that you are good. And though we make assessments about our life about what is good or bad, deserving or undeserving, we know that you make the right judgment. You see things the right way and you know so much more than we know. You see so much more than we see. You know what we need to become more like your son. And sometimes that's success and sometimes it's tragedy. And I don't want to say for myself, and I pray that I say for so many in our church, we trust you regardless. We know that you have secured our life through Jesus' death on the cross. I pray, God, that you would move in someone's heart to accept that today for the first time, for the first time today to say, I believe that Jesus died for me and paid for my sins. And when we believe that, we accept salvation. We now have, we're learning to put our trust in you in all things. And that's hard because our, our human minds, they, they trick us, they deceive us. They tell us one thing when we really should believe another. We need you to show us. We need you to teach us and draw us close and to believe also that as we're faithful to you, there is reward for us later in your kingdom. To know that's coming. So God, I just express our trust and our love for you today. There are people in our church who are hurting right now, and I know that, and they're scared. We know that. And I pray, God, you would use this situation to draw them closer and closer to you instead of allowing it to push them further away. So today we express our trust in you, our faith in you, our hope, which is in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.